All right. Thank you. Good morning, church. Good to be together. I want to tell you, we're going to dig right into it this morning. So let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter number two with me, if you would. Acts chapter number two. As you know, by now we are exploring the foundations of biblical community in the first several weeks of this new year. And um, that's in fact what the BC that you see on screen stands for. That's not a year marker, okay, of 24 years before the birth of Christ. That's not what that is. No, it represents our emphasis on biblical community in 2024. And we're using Acts 2.42, there's some more twos and fours in there for you, uh, as kind of home base for this study. Already in the last couple of weeks, we've seen that in the context of the gospel, biblical community is just a natural end result. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago as we saw that it started with a gospel presentation and we followed through seven steps of one thing led to another and before you knew it, biblical community broke out in verse number 42. And then we learned last week how those early believers in Acts chapter 2 devoted themselves. That is that they were a community of commitment. They were a people committed to the Lord, committed to his church, and committed to his kingdom. And so as we continue this morning to work slowly through this single verse, Acts 2.42, we're going to find today that this biblical community of believers was committed also to God's holy word. Look with me, if you will, Acts 2, verse number 42, and it says there, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we're going to highlight this morning how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, understand at this time that God had not yet inspired um, the writers of the New Testament to pen the words that we cherish and memorize and cling to in the New Testament. So, New Testament is not yet written, but the apostles are teaching these new believers. What were they teaching them? They took at least a couple different approaches. First, as they taught new believers, they were expounding on what we know today as the Old Testament. They were expounding on the saving purpose of God and showing um, from Old Testament Scripture that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah, the Savior. So they're teaching the Old Testament, God's Word. Secondly, as the apostles are teaching these new believers, they were passing on the revelatory teachings that the apostles had heard firsthand from the lips of Jesus himself. They were passing on the teachings of Jesus. Again, God's words, literally from his own lips. So both of these approaches were centered around the word of God revealed to man. That's what the apostles were teaching. And so when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it's saying they devoted themselves to the word of God. And church, we must do the same. Amen? We commit ourselves. We devote ourselves to the Word of God. Now, the broad topic of God's Word is something that we could explore for weeks on end, looking at it from a lot of different directions. But for today, we're going to try to narrow our focus somewhat to consider how God's Word generally speaks to this idea of biblical community. And we'll see that in at least three, uh, well, in three main areas today. The first of those, we find that God's Word gives us doctrine for common belief. Doctrine for common belief. Now, let me just give a little explanation. Don't get distracted by that word common, okay? Because uh, that word has a, a whole wide range of different meanings. And, and um, when I say common belief, I'm not using common to mean like something that is second rate, because that is one of the definitions of common if you look it up. 
I, I don't even mean that our beliefs are common and that they are all that widespread and general couple other definitions of common. But when, when I say they are common beliefs, I, I mean to say that they're shared biblical beliefs. They are common among us as believers in community here, in this community of faith. It is this shared common belief in God's Word that helps to bind us together as a community of, of believers. And that binding together by common beliefs lies behind what Paul wrote to Timothy over in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Let me read a couple verses from there where Paul's writing to Timothy in Ephesus and he says, <coughs> excuse me, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And now catch the way Paul describes the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, we all know what a pillar is, right? Like a, a, a large column that, that helps carry the vertical load of the structure above it. Like down, out here on Main Street, we've got some pillars, some columns, those big blue columns that help carry the weight of the second floor and the roof above it. And so we understand that a column, a pillar, it provides strength and support to a structure above it. But that word buttress, we're a little less familiar with that term probably. And so it's an architectural term, architecturally a buttress. And by the way, I confirmed this with, we have a couple architects in our congregation over at the Trails campus and they gave me the thumbs up, all right? Buttress, uh, architecturally, it's an element that projects out from a wall or building to provide support, not for the vertical forces, but for the horizontal forces that are part of that structure. And so let me give you this picture to help you see what we're talking about. Anybody recognize this? The famed cathedral of Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame, whatever is the right way to say that, okay? And so you see these extensions coming out from that, that cathedral structure. And if you still don't know what I'm talking about, look at this next picture. I've kind of given you some arrows to help you see what we're talking about there. These are actually called flying buttresses because they extend so far out from that structure to help carry the horizontal loads associated with that, uh, the way that it's built. Now, um, we don't really see many buildings with these large kind of buttresses anymore. We've got, you know, a couple centuries at least worth of uh, advances in architecture, but, but this kind of structure is still very much associated with religious architecture, especially of the past. But more generally, the term buttress it doesn't have to be something extending out uh, quite so much like that. It can mean, mean simply a support. In fact, the Greek term that Paul used here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it points to that idea of a prop or a support and not necessarily one even that projects out. In fact, in some English translations, perhaps uh, one that you're reading from this morning, it, it may say it's, it's been rendered um, a pillar and ground of the truth hinting at the idea of a foundational support. And so the, the imagery of pillar supporting the, the weight above and ground as a foundation, that the, this imagery would have been very familiar to Timothy and to everyone at Ephesus, in fact, because in Ephesus was the great temple to Diana or Artemis. This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this structure. And the way it was built, uh, one of the identifying uh, features of it was it, it was... It was um, set up on 127 massive marble columns. I mean, huge columns that were 60 feet tall. 
supporting the incredible weight of uh, um, the marble roof structure to this great temple. And, this, and just to get an idea of the weight that we're talking about, the roof itself, the square footage of that was 60% larger than today's regulation NFL football field. That's a whole lot of marble. And that's all we're going to say about the NFL today also, by the way. All right, so moving on. And so you can imagine this huge uh, weight and this huge structure and everybody understood who'd seen that, the, the, the importance of those columns, those pillars and a strong foundational support. Well, Paul is using that imagery and to help us understand how it relates to the church as the pillar and buttress or support of, uh, of the Word of God, some Christian commentators have, have weighed in on this as well. Uh, author Daniel Aiken puts it this way. He said, as we're empowered and led by the Holy Spirit, we are together the guardians of God's Word. Warren Wiersbe says that as a bulwark, the church protects the truth. And so that imagery and those authors are correct because our church, it is founded upon and it operates by and it continues to proclaim the rock solid truth of God's holy word. Amen? Now, of course, we don't, all of us in this room, we're not all going to agree on every point of biblical understanding and interpretation. And you know what? That's okay. We can disagree on some of the finer points of Scripture and still be a strong, loving, committed community of believers. But let me tell you, there are some critical core doctrines of God's Word that every member of First Hearst subscribes to, and it's part of what binds us together in community. In fact, let me just share some of those with you. And by the way, this list that we're about to, to, to walk through, it's taken directly from what we've published publicly on our website. You can find it there. That comes in turn from our uh, church constitution. In turn, that was written according to the truths revealed in the Bible. So as a pillar and buttress of the truth, this is what we believe here at First Hurst. Regarding God, we believe according to his word, there is one God. He is eternally existent and triune in nature. He has revealed himself to the world in the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We believe God is sovereign and unchanging and holy in all that he does. And although unique in persons, the three members of the Trinity are completely unified in purpose. We believe according to God's word that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God, fully God, and at the same time, mysteriously, fully man. He is absolutely perfect. We believe he came to redeem all who will place faith in him. He was crucified as a substitution for the wrong that we have done. He was buried, but then he rose again from the dead on the third day, and he now sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father where he rules over all things. We believe, according to God's word, that Jesus Christ will one day return and restore and rescue those who have placed faith in him. We believe the Holy Spirit personally and intimately is involved in convicting people of sin, in leading them to salvation, in sealing uh, believers at conversion. And at the same time, God's Spirit gifts and guides and empowers believers for the work of ministry as we together seek to live under His direction. And in addition to all this, the Spirit of God is the one who illumines the Word of God for us so that we can understand it, and He empowers us as His church. We believe that the Bible 
Bible is the inspired, infallible, authoritative, and inerrant word of God which he conveys, in which he conveys his love and his plan and his expectations for each person. We see in it that God has chosen to reveal his nature and his will and his purposes through the Bible. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. Regarding man, and when I say man, understand that I mean humanity, humans, in other words. Humans are the special creation of God made in his own image to glorify him in all things. And while we're there talking about humans as the special creation of God, let me just add that, 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 that we here at First Hurst, we value the sanctity of all human life. In fact, any serious survey of God's word reveals unmistakably that God's desire is for the flourishing of human life. And so on this National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we unapologetically affirm that all human lives are created in the image of God and carry immeasurable worth from the womb to the tomb. Every human life is sacred. It is given and sustained by our loving Father. And so today we acknowledge and we say thank you to the many in our congregation who work and you strive and invest and pray and serve to support life. And maybe that's in a pregnancy support center or perhaps in our Embrace Grace, Embrace Life ministry or some of you who invest sacrificially and yet joyfully in the very difficult ministry of foster care or serving perhaps the special needs community or maybe you're an educator and you've invested your own life to better the lives of others or you volunteer at a hospital or you serve the rejected of our society in prison ministries and dozens of other ways that the people of First Hurst are engaged in pro-life efforts to value the sanctity of every human life. In fact, of such immeasurable worth is humanity that Jesus, our Savior, laid down his own life to ransom and redeem those human lives. And if humanity is of such worth to God, then we who are created in his own image must likewise value and cherish the sanctity of every human life. Amen? Amen. All right. I kind of got off script there, didn't I, a little bit? All right. We're, we're talking about the core doctrines that bind us together. Let's come back to this list. And let me just say that regarding sin, we understand and believe according to God's word that we are all sinners. We have fallen short of God's expectations for us. And due to our sin, without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible, we will be forever separated from God. Oh, but thank the Lord, salvation is available by God's graciousness through faith in Jesus Christ. It is initiated by the Holy Spirit's leading. We believe salvation is a free gift of God as revealed in his word. It is made available to all who place faith in Jesus Christ. And so we believe according to the Bible that all who do so, who place faith in Jesus Christ, will spend eternity with God in his kingdom. And at the same time, according to God's word, we believe that all people who do not place faith in Jesus Christ We'll spend eternity in hell. 
We believe the church is the bride of Christ made up of baptized believers who have trusted Jesus for salvation. Our function together is to glorify God as we gather together to build one another up and to go and make disciples of all nations. We believe baptism is the immersion of a believer in water. It is an act of obedience that follows the example of Jesus himself. It it is a symbolic picture of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. At the same time, it is a testimony that joins the one being baptized to the community of faith, to the many who have likewise been baptized. We believe the communion, that the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience, whereby members of the church, as we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine, we memorialize the death of our Redeemer and we anticipate his second coming. And related to that, we believe according to God's word that Christ is returning soon and each person will be held accountable to him and therefore should be ready for his arrival. This is what we believe. Now church, there's a lot more that we believe according to God's word, but these are the core doctrines of scripture, the common beliefs that bind us together as a community of faith. As we then continue thinking how God's word speaks to biblical community, I want you to notice secondly this morning, it provides us with instruction for communal relationships. Instruction for communal relationships. Follow along with me. God designed us for relationships. We see this revealed even in the creation story. In the creation account over in Genesis uh, chapter number one, over and over, as God created the heavens and the earth, his word affirms repeatedly day after day that this is what God created and it was good, right? Although it's just wildly interesting, if you go back and read Genesis chapter one, you may take notice that on the second day of creation, we don't find those words. It doesn't say on the second day that it was good. And of course, the second day would have been a Monday. So (laughs) we can understand why, right? I mean, apparently Mondays have been hard literally since the beginning of time. (laughs) I'm kidding there, of course. but, But at the end of Genesis chapter number one, we see that God looked out on all that he created and it says, and behold, it was very good. And then in chapter 2, God zoomed in on his special creation, humanity in particular, and clarified his declaration when he announced in Genesis 2.18, he said, it is not good. It's the first time we find that negative statement in all of God's word. It is not good that the man should be alone. Because you see, God created us for relationship. And so, of course, God made Eve, and he brought her to Adam and joined them together. And guess what? Relationship And thankfully, um, uh, because we as humans are designed for relationship, God's word gives us instruction for such communal relationships. Now, we could look to a lot of places in scripture to learn more about this, but let me just read to you this morning from John 13, where Jesus said in verses 34 and 35, a new commandment, this is to his believers, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Jesus talking about relationships here. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. All right, so we see from God's word that Jesus gives us these instructions to love one another. He said it over and over and over here, and we do that in committed relationships. But can we just be honest this morning? Let's call it like it is. Church relationships are hard. Am I, is that truth? Amen? 
Relationships are hard. Man, we don't inherently handle relationships correctly. We can mess them up about that fast. I sure can. I mean, if we go back to creation account, we look to Genesis chapter number three, we find right away Adam and Eve already are failing to take responsibility for their actions. They're throwing each other under the bus, pointing fingers, laying blame. Relationships can get real ugly real quick. But thankfully, the Bible gives us a lot of specific instruction in how to do relationships well. And we couldn't possibly cover all of that uh, uh, this morning. But let's at least skim the surface with just a few examples of how God's Word teaches us to practically live in relationships in biblical community. And we'll put this list on the screen for you as well. uh, God's Word tells us that we're to love one another, as we've seen, just as God loves us, sacrificially, unconditionally. We're told to be patient with one another, long-suffering, just like God is toward us. Scripture instructs us about the fault of selfish human pride and directs us instead to be humble toward one another, critical for successful relationships. Passages like Matthew 18 give us specific instructions about conflict resolution, and it points us, of course, toward forgiveness and reconciliation. Repeatedly, we're told to forgive others as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. And you remember that one day where Jesus was teaching on this and Peter said, hey, Lord, how about I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus said, no, Pete, try 70 times seven, which of course was a colloquialism that simply meant without end. You just keep on forgiving. These are our instructions. We're going to explore in detail next week some of the many one another's in the Bible. We're told to love one another, be compassionate to one another, show hospitality toward one another, and many, many other one another's that we're going to dig into next week. Be back for that. And then I've added to this list also Proverbs because the book of Proverbs, man, it is just filled with practical instructions for healthy relationships. Now, God knew there would be challenges to relationships, even for people in committed communities such as ourselves, and so he gives us this wealth of practical instruction in his word to help us be successful. And by the way, that's possible, to help us be successful in communal relationships. Okay, then there's a third thing we see in God's word regarding biblical community, and that is that the word of God gives us direction for a a commissional purpose, commissional purpose. After his crucifixion and resurrection, and, and yet still before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, where today he reigns in righteousness, in between those, he gathered his closest followers together, this community of believers, and he gave them what we now call the Great Commission. And there are a handful of places we could read this. The most common one is Matthew 28, where verses 18 through 20 tells us Jesus came and said to them, to his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. These are our marching orders. This great commission, it is for the church the community of believers. This is what we're to to do together as the body of Christ, as a community of faith. Did you notice verse 20 where he said, teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. Where do we find all that God has commanded us? 
It's in his word, of course. He's centering this around the word of God. Jesus is talking about discipleship. He's saying teach people to obey the word of God because the Great Commission is a charge to go make disciples. And lest there be any confusion this morning about what a disciple is, let me just remind you, we've taken our definition of a disciple from Mark 1.17, where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And so from that, we understand that a disciple is someone who um, follows Christ, someone who's being transformed by Christ, because he said, I'll make you become, there's transformation in that, and then someone who's making other disciples of Christ, fishers of men. Okay, so we're charged to go make these disciples as we are ourselves disciples. But let me tell you, it doesn't go down like this, like, well, you know what? I got stuff to do. You know, I'm busy, and there are things I'm interested in doing. I'm going I'm to go about my life and my pursuits and my interests, and I'll leave that Great Commission stuff to the church. And in many people's minds, that translates to the church staff, <laughs> right? And let me tell you, that is a wrong understanding of Jesus' instructions here. Because if you are a believer joined together with others, you are the church. Your life is to be about making disciples. And so together as a community of faith, we all share in this commissional purpose as the the Lord's church, this purpose to go make disciples. And it's all according to his holy word. We, We preach God's message from his word to all peoples. And we baptize new believers who've been saved by the truth of God's word. And we teach them to observe or to obey the Word of God. We do it all according to God's Word, and we do it all to the glory of our great God, for this is our commissional purpose as a community of believers. Now, in closing this morning, you you may have noticed we've intentionally used the words common, communal, and then commissional. And the intentionality behind that is that each of these words shares the same Latin root, calm, And I know you Latin scholars out there will remember that that calm means with. With is the idea. These common beliefs, these communal relationships, this commissional purpose, it's all to be experienced with others, together in community. Another word that has that same calm uh, um, uh, Latin root with. This idea of biblical community is to be with others, and it is grounded, as the term implies, in God's Word. And so may these common core beliefs and our committed communal relationships and our common commissional purpose, may they continue to bind us together in biblical community here as the people of God at First Hurst. Amen? Amen? Let us pray together. Father, we are grateful today for your holy word that you have revealed to man, how we cherish it. We cherish it. Thank you, Lord, for what you've allowed us to understand, what you've illumined for us. And this morning, as we move toward a time where we have opportunity to respond to your word, our prayer today Spirit of God, you would move among us and within us and call us to something greater. And it may be that there's one with us today who you would just prick their heart and say, you need to be a student of my word.
need to open that Bible and read it and learn it and memorize it and study it and grow in it. Or perhaps another that you're calling this morning to to that forgiveness we talked about in communal relationships, to to move toward reconciliation. And, And you might say, if you just follow the instructions I've laid out for you, relationship would find healing and help. Or maybe there's one who's abdicated that responsibility of um, of making disciples and having gospel conversations and uh, applying your word to life and helping others to grow in this walk of faith. Maybe you'd call them today to pick back up that baton and do the work of ministry and making disciples. God, help us today to recognize and be sensitive to the moving of the Spirit of God and how you would choose to apply your word in each of our individual lives. And Father, may we respond in obedience and faith, and may it be unto your great glory and honor. For all this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.